Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. We are continuing today our conversations with SEC beat writers. Today I am joined by Jacob Rudner of 247 Sports. He covers the Florida Gators. Obviously a lot to talk about there with that team that has been so impressive from a talent perspective and for you know much of the season has kind of been surprising as maybe too strong of a word. I mean, D1 Baseball had them ranked in the top 10, but I think they've kind of even exceeded some of those expectations. So we will talk about all of that with Jacob here in just a second. But first, I have to let you know that this episode and every episode of Highway to Hoover this season is brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Uh, once again, go to d1baseball.com for more information on the live show that Mark Etheridge and I will be doing from Brock's Gap Brewing Monday, May 22nd, the night before the SEC tournament starts. If you're a fan of a team that looks like it's going to play on that first Tuesday of at the SEC tournament. First off, my condolences. because That's a stressful game to end up being in. Um, but uh, come and see us Monday night at Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Get your tickets at D1Baseball.com. I joked about it with Mark. I'm tired of asking you. Just, just get the tickets and come see us. We're excited to meet you and uh, talk about the SEC tournament. Uh, let's get down to business. Jacob, first off, I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, Joe, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I love your guys' coverage, like I told you before we started recording, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to kind of chat about what's going on here in Gainesville. Yeah, I mean, you know, I said it up top, but this, this has maybe been the team, and again, we had them ranked top 10. I forget where they, are, where they were, maybe eight, something like that sounds about right. And yet, as soon as the team kind of took the field, I think there was a collective, and I'll throw myself in this in this bucket, a collective realization of, holy cow, this team is really talented. Now, whether or not I think at that point we were kind of cautious about it, like whether or not they end up being a cohesive team is a whole nother deal. But holy cow, this team is talented. To what extent did you know that this team was was this chock full of talent going into the season? It was pretty apparent that they were this talented as far back as the fall. I think if you just kind of perused through who was returning to the team, that was the biggest part of that. Uh, Josh Rivera coming back and with an opportunity to go pro last year was huge. Colby Halter came back with an opportunity to go pro. Uh, and then guys like Brandon Sprout and BT Ryapel, who really had no business being back in the college ranks, are back for one more season. And basically, we're in this position where they said, we feel like we have unfinished college business. Uh, for Sprout, he thought that he could do a little bit better as far as MLB draft selection goes. He was a third-round pick by the Mets. And they all decided to come back and kind of have this senior year push uh, with the Gators. And that immediately, in my mind, uh, took Florida from a very good team to a potentially great team. What I think has surprised me and others who have followed this program throughout the year might not be exactly how good this team is, but why it's so good. If you had asked me months ago what makes Florida so talented, I would have told you in no uncertain terms, it's starting rotation and then everything else. You have a guy in Brandon Sprout who has elite stuff. We're talking about a first round, late, you know, late first, early second round talent in terms of just pure stuff. Uh, you have a guy in Hurston Waldrip who, again, pure stuff as a top 15 pick. And then this wild card in Jack Caglione, who's a lefty throwing 100 miles per hour. That, to me, is one of, if not the best, weekend rotations in baseball. And it hasn't exactly unfolded that way. I think that offense has been what's carried this team uh, throughout the season and to the point where they're at right now. And starting pitching and relief pitching have kind of been the bigger question mark. So, uh, for me... The success has not been so much of a surprise. It's more of a why they've been successful that's kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, I think that's a really smart way to put it. I think I, I totally agree on that. I'll co-sign that completely. Offensively, it, it strikes me that it feels like everything they needed to have happen 
happened in a lot of ways, which is not to say it's been perfect, but you know, Wyatt Langford is having another excellent year. Josh Rivera is having a career year. Cade Curland has come in and been an immediate impact guy uh, on down the line. Cag's obviously doing what he's doing. It, it just feels like those dominoes just really fell into place in such a way that they quickly became, you know, arguably the best lineup in college baseball. No, no, no question about that. I think that there was a lot that needed to go right for Florida offensively, which is what contributes to how much of a, I don't know that I'm going to go as far as to say surprise. We've known how talented guys like Josh Rivera and obviously Wyatt Langford and Jack Caglione, the, the, the talent has been apparent. Uh, like you said, and I, I'll, I'll co-sign that sentiment, is you know these were guys who needed to really pan out in order for the team to uh, be at its maximum efficiency. Josh Rivera is having a season I don't think anybody could have reasonably expected from him at the outset of the year based on past results. This is you know, a, a, a first-team All-American caliber season at shortstop. He is a home run away from being the all-time record holder at Florida for single-season home runs by a shortstop. Uh, Cade Kerland already has possession of the single-season record for home runs by a second baseman. As a true freshman, uh, if you were expecting that for a guy who skipped his senior year of high school as well, I should add, uh, it, it, I don't think anybody could have reasonably expected that. And then you go down the lineup and it's that way for almost everybody, uh, you know, had expectations is extremely talented, but has exceeded those expectations and probably played closer to the ceiling of what was possible for them rather than the floor. And, and of course that has been a game changer for this team. Cade Curlin stands out just from the standpoint of exactly what you said early enrollee freshman and, those guys come along in college baseball. Famously, Judd Fabian was one of them, former Florida outfielder. And typically, those guys tend to, they might be able to play defense well. Maybe they bring some speed. Maybe they bring some hitability. Physicality is not typically what you see from someone who's that young. And yet, Cade Curland has provided that uh, this year in the lineup. How big is, has that been? And, and how much, you know, how much was that expected of him going into the season? I mean, it's been huge. And, and and I think one thing worth noting is at Cade Curlin's worst, he's Florida's six-hole hitter. In, in his most notable slump of the season, the guy batted six. At his peak, when he's playing at his best, he is Florida's leadoff hitter, and he provides that you know first-in-the-order cushion for guys like Wyatt Langford, Jack Caglione, and Josh Rivera. And to be a true freshman in a position where you, in a way, kind of put the ball on the tee for the guys behind you who are – first round caliber hitters, that is, it says a lot about you. And I think that he's handled that role really well. He is, um, he's patient. He has great plate vision. Uh, what has impressed me the most so far this year has been that power. Um, I did not expect him to hit 14 home runs in, in his first season at Florida. Um, and he is, you know, proving quickly here that he's a guy, not only who is a really strong candidate to continue to kind of carry Florida, especially offensively, but you know, over, over years to come. But somebody who I think is, is already emerging as a, a top draft talent for his draft class, which is still two years off. So uh, just a supremely talented hitter, somebody whose defense needs to improve. But again, and this is what I've been reminding people as the year has gone on, this is a true freshman who should not be in college right now. This is a high school senior starting at second base for one of the best teams in the country and batting leadoff. He's having a phenomenal season, and I'm really not sure you could have expected more from him. Luke Heyman, for a portion of this season, I thought was destined to be this year's version of uh, Tennessee's Blake Burke last year, where he was going to put up great numbers on a rate basis. And it was like, gosh, I just wish they could get him in the lineup every day. And lo and behold, they, they've kind of shoehorned him in there because he's been that good offensively. And 
he and maybe to a slightly lesser degree, Tyler Shellnut have been guys who felt like they've come on a little bit of late. And to what extent have those guys given that lineup some additional length? Heyman has been really important because not only can he hit and established himself as a top six in the order batter for Florida, no matter what the lineup is, but he is somebody who does have positional versatility on the other side of the ball. He can play first base, which really matters. He can catch, which really matters. And then obviously his bat has been productive enough that they can line him up out of that designated hitter spot. Uh, And this is a kid like Curlin, who's just kind of advanced beyond his years Uh, great power. He's closing in on 10 home runs. Uh, Florida has never had a team to my knowledge with more than with five or more double digit home run hitters. Heyman would be the fifth. Uh, Ryapel is right there as well. Uh, And here's a guy who is giving Florida a power right-handed bat who changes the pace towards the bottom third of the order. Uh, And he kind of fits into that same category of guys who might not be hitting in your top four spots, but can really do major damage. And he allows Florida's lineup to be potent throughout. It forces pitchers to have to attack guys around him because you don't want to be, you know, piping fastballs to a guy like Luke Heyman. Uh, and, and that has mattered. I have also said with regard to Shelnat that he could quietly be Florida's most important player as we get closer and closer to postseason play. Uh, this is a guy who played sparingly throughout the first month and a half or so of the season. Uh, Ty Evans, who was Florida's starting right fielder, really cooled off, especially after the start of SEC play in March. And here comes Tyler Shelnut, great hitter, fluid swing, uh, has more pop than I would say the majority of the guys on this team, and plays a brand of right field that is serviceable. And I believe that if you can play decent enough defense that you are not a liability and you are a strong offensive player, then you are a massive boost to your team in a spot where you were not getting great production in the first place. So uh, those two guys, I think, are really important. I'm glad you brought them up. But I would say Shelnut actually is probably one of Florida's quietly most important players of the season. Flipping to the mound, um, I have this kind of – I've said it on the podcast with Mark a couple of times, and you tell me if I'm if I'm wrong or if you think I'm, I'm on the right track here. I'm actually – there's been a lot of consternation about the bullpen. I'm actually as nervous about the starting rotation from a Florida perspective, just given that – as talented as Brandon Sprode is, and he'll throw in some gems. I mean, I was there for the Alabama weekend, right? Um, he's also can be flammable sometimes. Um, he has starts where it just doesn't go his way. And Waldrop, and, and I actually do want to zero in on this a little bit later, but Waldrop hasn't been as good of late. He's had to change his delivery because apparently what he was doing was not by rule something he should be able to do. We, we'll touch on that later. And then, of course, Cags has has just struggled to throw strikes, and that that's just the reality of the situation. So, I get a little worried when you get into a regional and you just don't have time to kind of wait around because Sprout and Waldrop are both guys. They could give up a four spot in the second inning, and you just kind of wait around and you look up, and it's the sixth or seventh inning, and they haven't given up a run since then. In regionals, though, and you know this, you don't always have time to see if that happens, right? So. Maybe I'm just kind of overplaying it because the expectations were so high for that starting rotation, but that unit makes me as nervous as the bullpen. I got to be honest. I, I don't think you're far off at all. I, I would actually go as far as, and I've you know been on the ground here in Gainesville the whole season. I would go as far as to say that the starting rotation is more of a concern at this point than the bullpen is. You know what you're going to get for the most part from Florida's bullpen. They have four arms who are very reliable. You know generally speaking, what you're going to get from each of those guys. Philip Abner is a high strikeout lefty. You're going to be able to put in during clean innings. You're probably going to get out of that frame in a reasonable spot. Brandon Neely has been a good closer for the most part 
has had a couple blow-up games, but other than that, extremely sharp. Uh, Cade Fisher, freshman lefty, solid. You know what you're going to get. Not going to walk a lot of guys. Has a tendency sometimes to give up some hard contact, but you know that that's what you're bringing into the game. I think as it relates to Florida's starting rotation, those certainties don't exist. You don't know which version of Brandon Sprout you're going to get on a Friday night. Do you get complete game Brandon Sprout, who strikes out 10 against Alabama and walks two? Or do you get the Brandon Sprout who goes less than two innings and has a really hard time recording outs against Auburn and walks eight in a very short time frame? It's also possible. Uh, as with Waldrop, I think Waldrop is a guy who has been uh, very consistently inconsistent. Uh, in his first three innings of play, his ERA, roughly nine. After the third inning, if he can get that far, under two. Uh, so this is a guy who needs time to settle in. And then, as you mentioned with Caglione, the control is a problem. He's yet to complete four innings on the road. And he's had thrown more than four innings, regardless of where the start has occurred, just twice since March 17th, which was the start of conference play. So this is a rotation, I think, that has a very wide range of results. And as you know, Joe, that doesn't always pan out in the postseason. It's great to have guys who have these super high ceilings and great stuff backed by a very good offense and an okay bullpen. But the shorter, the wrong end of that is also really bad. You, you know, if those guys go into the postseason and they blow up, recovering from that is very difficult. You only have two games to lose in the opening format. It's just tough. And so I, I would go as far as to say that that is the biggest concern for me with regard to this Florida team as things stand right now. Give us the Cliff's Notes version of the situation with Waldrop's wind-up and, and the issues that that, that caused and, and where he's at now. There is a short pause that exists in his delivery where he comes set at the hip, he moves his feet, and he stops moving, and then he comes to the plate. By the rule book, that is illegal. You, you cannot stop your motion towards the plate within the windup after you start it. Um, it was noticed, however, 11 weeks into the season. And so the challenge became, how does Florida uh, make an alteration to his delivery without drastically changing things or throwing him out of sorts because he's been used to what he's been doing, illegal or not, and it was never caught. Florida's played in you know, five nationally televised games, and he's pitched in four of them. Uh, and nobody has ever said anything. And so the challenge has been, and we've seen the results of it, uh, he basically needs to recalibrate how he goes about his delivery, and that's been a, a major challenge so far. On Caglione, are you surprised there hasn't been a move to maybe look at him at the back end? And, and you know, I've told our listeners, you know, and I'm saying this for the benefit of listeners who maybe don't follow Ford as closely, not for you, but in a, in a world where Pierce Coppola is healthy, like that may have been his role. Um, in the back end of the bullpen. So has there been any thought to that? Or is just is, is it kind of a matter of we'd rather have him work through this because eventually he's going to have to learn how to work through it? I don't know. Those are just kind of hypotheses, but I'm curious your take on that. There hasn't really been much consideration given towards that yet. I don't think that Florida is at a point where it's you know considering or even leaning towards making a change on Sundays. Um, I think part of that is because Florida is not certain it's going to get the level of innings production that it can currently get out of Caglione out of other players on the team. There are no other players on the roster right now who are capable of starting against SEC teams stretched out to the length that you need to be stretched out to start games. Um, I do think there is more and more consideration being given to 
having Caglione go out there on Sundays and then having that be kind of a piggyback start by design. So you have Caglione give you as many solid innings as he can give you. First sign of trouble in the third, fourth, fifth range. Uh, and you go to a guy like Ryan Slater who can give you four or five innings. Uh, you can go to a guy like Cade Fisher who can also give you multiple. To me, just based on where we're at in the year, that is the most likely solution to Florida's Sunday struggles is they start to kind of piece it together with multiple guys who can give you multiple innings. Uh, but again, do you risk taking a guy like Caglione who does have the walk issues and putting him in the bullpen where you probably can't afford that at the moment, somebody who's going to be a high traffic reliever? Uh, that seems like a massive risk and, and one that I'm not so sure Florida can take on. And then I guess I'll, I'll pose the question back to you is, is would you think that having no Caglione pitching on this team right now, because to me it's between starting and not pitching at all, is that the way to go? And in my mind, it would be more valuable to at least trot him out there and give him some room to work as a pitcher rather than none at all. I think that's correct. I, I, I agree. He's just too valuable an arm when he's on um, to, to not have him. And maybe, you know, you try to, like you said, you try to mitigate it a little bit by just understanding that, hey, if we get three good ones, great. And we're going to move on from it. You know, if you were, the other thing is, if you were going to move him to the bullpen, there would have to be some factors involved. Like, I feel like you'd have to bring him in in clean innings only because yeah. of the control issues. And so, okay, so those are kind of limited to begin with, right? And with a clean inning, you can say, well, as long as he strikes out three before he walks four, Okay, like that sounds great. And I've I've said that before about pitchers. I'm guilty of that too, but it's not quite that simple. So ultimately, I, I think I land where you are because, I mean, the other thing is that, okay, sure, they lost a series to A&M last weekend, but series losses happen in the SEC. It's not like Florida's really been hurting necessarily. <laughs> you know, they're having a, a great season as it is. So, you know, if it's not broke, don't, don't try to tinker with it too much. So ultimately I, I pose the question cause I'm curious, but I think I land where you do that. Like, Hey, let's, let's kind of just continue and see if we can't work around the current situation as opposed to, to try to mess with it. And maybe we, maybe we make it worse because that that's on the table. And, and also, I mean, look around the sec. I had this conversation with Mark on the podcast that we recorded last night. Who, who can you point to in the sec that doesn't have like almost existential level pitching issues this year? I mean, you know, <laughs> with the injuries south carolina's got injuries um lsu obviously has skeins and then a big shrug of the shoulders most weekends so they're in pretty good company and even with the concerns that you and i share ultimately the perspective is that you know they are in a pretty decent place because at least their best arms are healthy which is more than you could say for a lot of the rest of the rest of the league um i want to zoom in a little bit on that series loss to texas a last weekend and where you put it in terms of were they were they flat? Was the left-handedness of Texas A&M a mitigating factor? Because when when Texas A&M beat had won the series against Kentucky, that was certainly a factor there. So, or was it in between or something else altogether? Do you think? I think it's a combination of those things. I would say that the left-handed pitching is certainly a factor. We've seen Florida struggle against lefties so far this year. Uh, guys like Caglione and BT Ryapel are not the same hitters against southpaws as they are against righties. It's that simple. Uh, you can broaden that out to a degree. Michael Robertson, Florida's nine-hole hitter, struggles a little bit more against lefties than he does righties. Colby Halter can be put into the same category. Uh, and so the inconsistency in Florida's batting order, I would say, is magnified when they face lefties. We can start there, and I would say that that's a big factor. 
Um, I also think simply that these kinds of series happen. And, and you know that better than anybody. I think that one of the big things right now with Florida is just that you can't be perfect all the time. Uh, you go on the road, you face a team like Texas A&M, which might not be having the season that it expected to have, but by no means is it not a talented team with, with you know, good arms that can at any point flip a switch and look like one of the SEC's best. And that's kind of what happened to me. I think that Texas A&M threw a lot of strikes. Uh, their pitchers went out there and they did what they needed to do. Uh, on Saturday, you have a real punch in the teeth kind of moment when Texas A&M puts up 15 runs and a run rule loss. Recovering from that is difficult, even for the best teams. And I think that there was a degree to which Florida opened the series nicely, gets you know kind of punched in the face in game two, and then falls flat in game three. Uh, and then you know very quickly you have a series loss. And so uh, the number that I would point to that, that allows me to basically point to that and go, not such a big deal, that is Florida's second series loss of the year. The only other one was to South Carolina where they were swept. Uh, now, granted, this is the second time in three weeks that they've lost a series, but the level of concern is not very great, and there's an opportunity for Florida to prove why that's the case when they host Vanderbilt this weekend. And, and so, I don't know. I, I, to me, it felt fluky. To me, it felt like, like Texas A&M had a great weekend, uh, and Florida just didn't, and, and that was the result. Yeah, it's, it, this is one of the deals where the the way the SEC schedule shakes out ends up having a large bearing, right? Because Florida's first half of their SEC schedule was softer than the back half, which is not to say soft, but softer than the back half. And so that's kind of the way, I mean, just ask Kentucky, right? They start off eight and one and dropped as low as 11 and and 10 in the league. And and of course last, last week got kind of back on the horse a little bit, but um, my last thing for you here is more of a, a big picture question. And that's, the last two seasons they've Florida being they there has lost in home regionals. Um, And there was a lot of conversation that, that I was having where people would ask me, you know, what's the deal with Florida? And I would say, well, what do you mean? You know, they're hosting regionals are still clearly very talented. And like, it just doesn't, you know, it's just not the, you know, they're kind of doing this thing with their head, like, ah, you know? Um, And so the, the conversation would continue from there, but how much of that was perceived maybe not inside the program. Cause I think that that's, that's different, but how much of those home regional losses and just kind of the feeling of that, eh, it's not quite the same was hanging over the program. And do you think some of that will, they will take that with them into regionals and create maybe a little more urgency there? I think that from a player perspective, there is a higher sense of urgency, absolutely created by the fact that there is, you know, truth be told, it is the tide now for the longest super regional drought under Kevin O'Sullivan in 16 years. And that should say something because it's three years. So it's really not a, a dramatic drought of, of second round playoff play, uh, but it is historically long relative to a very great uh, coaching tenure at the university. Uh, and I think players feel that. They feel responsible for that to a degree because a lot of these guys have been involved in the last two seasons and the, the failures, if you want to call it that, in the last two years. Uh, and, and that was a motivating factor in a lot of the talent coming back. Josh Rivera, I feel like I have unfinished business. Brandon Sproke, unfinished business. BT Ryapel, unfinished business. Uh, and so these are guys who are back on Florida's roster, essentially with the sole purpose of proving that was not playing to our capability last year. We are better, uh, and the fans deserve better. That's been a point that has been brought up by players now multiple times. Uh, and so I feel like there's kind of an onus to perform that's been placed on, on the players right now. And it's not external pressure that's caused that. It is completely internal. Uh, it's a review of 
We have not achieved the level of success that this program is accustomed to in recent years, uh, and we need to change that. And so from a from a motivation standpoint, I would say that it's kind of at a, at a high, at least in recent years, in terms of uh, the need and the desire to advance to a super regional. And I would also say that pressure is coming from the fan base to do the same. This is a passionate fan base uh, that loves to see its team be successful, of course. Uh, but, but again, you know, the, the regional round, because of how good Florida has been in recent years, is viewed as underachieving. And so I think that from all angles, uh, there is a sense of pressure and, and, and we'll feel that here in Gainesville when they host a regional. There's nothing quite like SEC baseball to make a team truly a prisoner of its own success. I think we, you know Florida's <laughs> not alone in, in having that particular, you know, and I'm doing air quotes here, the particular ailment there. It's just, yeah, it, it kind of is what it is. And it's, it's what makes the, the league compelling in some ways, but also maddening if you're, if you're inside it. Cause I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with coaches where, you know, they talk about just like, people don't understand how hard it is to win 15 SEC games every year. You know, it just, and that's, that, that that's the way it is. But Florida certainly off to a heck of a, a run this year in 2023, certainly be interested to see what they do in the postseason and how they kind of deal with that urgency as, as, as Jacob put it um, and make certainly a talented enough team to make a deep run, a fun team to cover a fun team to follow. Um, and I know anybody listening who is a Florida fan has been doing so excitedly this year because it's, I think uh, got a real chance to be um, a fun season down the stretch. Jacob, I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this edition of Highway to Hoover, a presentation of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. Today's guest again was Jacob Rudner of 247 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob Rudner. That last name is R-U-D-N-E-R. I say this with all of my guests, but please support his work, support local beat writing. Their job makes my job easier because there's so much on the ground reporting they can do that I just can't do for my home in North Carolina. So I owe a debt of gratitude to all these SEC beat writers who do a fabulous job covering the sport. Jacob's certainly among them. So thank you again to him for joining me. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.